Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Well, good morning. It's nice to say good morning rather than like good pre-evening, right? We've been gathering at four o'clock in Newton. It's good to finally be home. Uh, if Koa is your home, guys, we like to preach through books of the Bible. So we preached through uh, Ephesians recently and Esther and James. And the next three weeks, we're going to take a quick pause and talk about our core values. We kind of want to reset as a church, go back to the basics. And this week, we're going to unpack what is the gospel. It's always good to do this every once in a while. We won't do it every year. But for us to really go back to what got us started. What do we value most as a church? And so this week's gospel, next week's community, next week's mission. And then here's what we're going to do. This is is sort of crazy, but all of our network churches are doing this. We're going to preach through the entire book of Genesis uh, about new beginnings and how God has been with us from the very beginning of time, had a purpose through Christ. And so we're going to walk through 50 chapters of the Bible of Genesis. It's going to take us a long time to get through. We'll do some breaks in there so you guys can kind of take a breath and we'll do some side series that are in there. But we're really excited to do that. Genesis is a book of beginnings. And also we have a new church for us right now of beginnings. We're kind of a new neighborhood and unpack that. Uh, but this week we're talking about the gospel. Uh, as I was thinking about uh, what the gospel does, it changes everything. And I was just thinking about that concept of what the good news of Jesus does. I thought about my little girl, uh, Kiana. Uh, a few years ago, Kiana got glasses for the first time. And if you knew Kiana, uh, when she was little, um, she had a tough time seeing. And we had fostered to adopt her, so we didn't know all of her story. And when she came to live with us, she would always look sort of really closely at things sideways and thought that was pretty odd for her to be looking at things like that. And we took her to a doctor. Doctor really wasn't too concerned. But we kept noticing she looked everything sort of left eye down. Things didn't look so right. And that happened for like several doctor's appointments up to a year, year and a half. We're like, we need a new, we need a new doctor here. I think something's not quite right. Took her to another doctor, got her new glasses. She could speak by now. And she gets home with these glasses on. She's like, I can see this changes everything. And so I think about the gospel, it's the same thing. It's like lens that you put on your eyes and through it, you see everything differently. It changes everything. And so I'll never forget the way that she said that. She's like, everything's so different. I can see goodly is what she said. I can see goodly. And that's what the gospel does. When you see through the lens of what Jesus has done, it changes everything. And the story we're gonna unpack, this real life historical narrative that we're gonna look at is one man's experience with seeing the gospel and how it transformed everything. And it's through his story that I hope you find your story and how the gospel not only just changed you in the past if you're a Christian, but through that lens, you see everything and it changes everything. So let's start here at verse one. And I want you to see how the gospel does indeed change everything. Verse one, Mark chapter five. It says, and they came to the other side of the sea And this is Jesus and his disciples. He's been uh, teaching in the past year or so. uh, And he's been sharing his good news in different cities and different regions all throughout the Middle East. And so here he is in verse one saying, and they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there, 
met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Even just for a moment, I want you to see that Jesus is the initiator. It's Jesus that said, hey guys, let's get in this boat and go to this foreign land and let's meet a man from the tombs who's in this graveyard that is struggling, that's hurting. I want you to see in the gospel, my friends, the gospel is not you going to God. The gospel is God has come to you. That's what we celebrate about Jesus is that he took the initiative to come from heaven, to put on flesh and come to earth. Because my friends, you and I cannot reach God. We are imperfect. He is perfect. We are unholy. He is holy. And my friends, we cannot go to God because of our sins. So God in his love came to us. And we see that in the first two verses that Jesus is the initiator with his love and his grace, meeting someone in a great place of pain. Verse three, this man, he lived among the tombs. This was a graveyard setting where people, obviously after they passed away, would be buried and no one lived in this land, but this man did. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound, verse four, with shackles, with chains, but he wrenched them apart with his strength. He broke the shackles in pieces. No person had the strength to subdue him, verse five. And so think about this for a moment. Night and day, day and night among the tombs and among the mountains, he was always crying out and he was cutting himself with stones. If you just back up for a moment and think about the state that this man was in before Jesus came to him. This man was living alone in a graveyard. Now, I learned from some of you guys, I'm not gonna share who, some of you guys like to take your dates walking around graveyards. Not gonna say who that is, but I think that's pretty funny. But this is way worse than just taking dates walking around graveyards because it's beautiful in Boston. If you're familiar with that and you've been around, it's kind of a joke to some of our guys, won't say her too much there. That's an insider, you know, jab for you there. But this is way worse than just going on walks through graveyards on a date, Okay. This is you living in a graveyard because no one wanted to live with you. It's to live amongst a graveyard during that time is to be homeless, but not homeless, but discarded, rejected, abandoned. You cannot live in the place of the living because you were treated as though if you were dead, dead relationally, dead with care. And that's where Jesus finds this man. He's away from civilization. The text even tells us that he was unclean in his spirit, means he was demon-possessed. If you're not a Christian, you might be like, wow, that is super crazy to be saying demon-possessed. In 2022, in a modern culture, uh, we did uh, in Ephesians a few weeks on talking about uh, the spiritual world and angels and demons. So I won't take a lot of time on that. I would encourage you to go to our Ephesians series, chapter six, and sort of unpack that there. But imagine this man is not of right mind not thinking correctly, having voices in his mind, desires that are not necessarily his own leading him in places. He's mentally unwell. He's cutting himself night and day with self-hatred for his circumstances. Guys, he's dealing with emotional and physical scars from people binding him up with chains and shackles and then leaving him there. This man is in great distress. And what do we learn about Jesus? Jesus comes to a foreign land that's not his own to reach people that are not his own who are struggling with things that are not his own. My friends, that is the gospel. Jesus, again, coming from heaven to earth 
in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our place. And my friends, in a room this size with the group that we have here or that's online, you may feel in a similar spot to this man in the tombs. You may be experiencing in your life even right now hurt and abandonment, some isolation, loneliness. You feel overlooked. You feel that you've been left in the land of the tomb by people that should have loved you with what you're going through. And maybe you feel discarded. Maybe you feel like this man's family. Maybe you have anger at God for maybe something that happened in your family. Maybe God didn't show up where you wished he would have showed up in your marriage or with your kids or your finances or some prayer that you had given to God and God wouldn't move through that for some reason. So you may be like this man's family and you're angry and you're bitter and you step away from your problems. You may feel skeptical. You look at all that's evil that's happening in this world and you're like, can God even be real? Why would God allow these circumstances happen to me? Why would I be in this place? And you look around thinking, could God even be real? You might be a mom in the room, a college student. You might be new to Boston and you feel like this man, sort of separated, discarded. No one knows what you're going through. No one knows how you're tempted, the struggles that you feel at home in your bed before you go to sleep. No one knows what's on your mind. And you feel like you're living amongst the tombs. And I want you to see that just like this man was reaching his brokenness, that's the good news of the gospel. No matter what peace or shred of brokenness or hurt you have, that's the alarm to God and that's the entry door he wants to go through. He wants to meet you right where you are in the place of your pain and your sorrow. Whether you've been a Christian for a decade or more or whether you're sort of exploring what you believe, this is the place and space that Jesus wants to enter is your pain. And that's the first thing that we've been talking about that you'll see is that Jesus meets us, number one, Jesus meets us right where you are right where you are. Look again at verse one again. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, meaning that Jesus traveled overseas to connect with just one person in this text we see. One person. He, he left everything that he knew, all his family and friends, took this trip to care for just one person in the foreign country of the Gerasenes. Verse two. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately again, there met him of the man of the tombs with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. My friends, you might not know my story and I won't share all of it today, but I felt similarly before my relationship with Jesus. I felt like a person who sort of was alive, but lived amongst the tombs. My own past is filled with addiction and suicidal ideations and relational hurt. And although I was happy and smiling on the surface, I felt dead inside, relationally misunderstood, not cared for, and tried to find value and excitement in other things. No one knew the internal life of Aaron. All through middle school and high school and college, no one knew what was inside of me. I felt like it was death and decay and sadness and heartache, addiction. No one knew. And it was in that very spot that Jesus began to meet me with his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and a new way to find peace and satisfaction. And my friends, he does the same thing, whether you're Christian forever or you're exploring. He meets you right in that place of pain. You are not abandoned in the land of the dead amongst the tombs, crying out to a God who doesn't hear you. He sees you and he meets you right where you are. Number two, not only does he meet you there, friends, but Jesus transforms then who you are. 
meets you where you are, but number two, he transforms who you are. Let's continue the verse, the story in verse six. And when this man saw Jesus from afar, what did he do? He ran towards him and he fell down or he bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. It's an interesting response. This man somehow got news that Jesus was God's son, fully God, fully man come to earth. Somehow he got news in the land of the dead that Jesus indeed is God. Was this the demons speaking out? Was it this man? Were they working together? I'm not sure, but all I know is that somehow God's news reaches people in the hardest spots. You see it over and over again. No matter what you're traveling through, Christian or non-Christian, no matter what you're going through, he travels to the hardest broken spots to reach you where you are. He's not a God who is far away. So he cries out and says, verse seven, he says, I adjure you or I urge you, or I command you by God to not torment me. For Jesus had been saying to this man, come out, come out, you unclean spirit. Jesus is trying to cast out these demons that are in him to give this man relief. Verse nine, And Jesus asked him, sir, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, if you're in Boston and you hear, say, someone says, my name is Legion, that's a scary thought because that name is a military number. That word Legion, it means 6,000, 6,000. And so this man is saying, I'm not just one unclean spirit. There are like 6,000, there are thousands of us that are tormenting this man. And so this man and the demons that are in him are beginning to beg this man and they want Jesus out of this country. Verse 11, now a great herd though of pigs were feeding right there on the hillside, verse 12. And they begged him saying, would you just send us into these pigs? Let us enter them. And so verse 13, Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, In the herd, numbering about 2,000, they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Super wild story. Seems super sci-fi, right? There's just some pigs off the corner. Uh, The legion's like, can you just send us into those? Jesus is like, sure. Then the pigs, with them, sure, the pig herders are nearby. Just go to the pigs and they all just jump off the cliff into the ocean. Super weird story. And Jesus tanks this dude's business. All the, the pig herders tanks their business because I think he wants to give them something more. And you sort of see that later. Tanks an idol in their life in order to give them something that's more valuable. If you're a pig herder in that day, you sort of gave your life, your family, you sacrificed a lot in order just to do this. If you were from Jewish history, you know that pigs were unclean. And so I think Jesus was saying, I want to remove some things in your life that are distracting you from me. And so Jesus sort of removes this and he allows them this opportunity to get all they need from him rather than something else. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled at that moment and they told it in all the city and all the country what had just happened. So people start flocking to Jesus and they came to see what had happened. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had the legion. He was just sitting there. He was clothed in his right mind and they were afraid, afraid. Guys, when Jesus interacted with this man, He spoke truth and grace and Jesus saved this man and changed this man. Saved him from what was 
uh, hurting him and his challenges. He rescued him from that and then he transformed them. And Jesus does the same thing for us. Jesus saves us through the cross and he transforms us by his love. My friends, you and I, again, might not feel tormented by a demon or thoughts in your mind, but all of us have pain points and struggles that no one else sees. Pockets where you feel like you're living amongst the tombs. It's in that place Jesus wants to save us from, but also transform us in. And how do we know this? From Colossians 2.13, it says this. This is how he saves us. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers, those demons, the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Not only does he just save us by the cross, but he transforms us by his love. 2 Corinthians 3.18 has a beautiful promise for you. He doesn't leave you in the areas of brokenness or hurt, the trauma from the past. He doesn't leave us there. It says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. My friends, the beauty of Jesus, he doesn't just meet you somewhere and then leave you with all the heartache and baggage and struggle of your life. He meets you there and then in love, he transforms you. He gives you a new place to run for your worth and your value. Listen, if you're new to Boston, there are so many things that are saying, this is what proves your worth and value. You've got to have money. You've got to have success. You've got to get that PhD. You've got to climb the ladder. There's going to be so many things that tell you you're not good enough. You don't have enough money. You don't got enough family here. And you're going to start looking to all other things to find your value, your worth, your security. And Jesus is telling us, he meets us in that place. And then he shows us that in him is everything that we need. He meets us where we are. He transforms who we are. And then the last thing, number three, Jesus doesn't just meet us or transforms us. Jesus then sends us as we are. He sends us as we are to the world with our stories, with our struggles, with our, with our pasts. He sends us to our friends and neighbors and he uses those stories and the struggles like a platform for you to stand on and share God's grace and what he did in your life and what he's doing in your life. He uses our past as a platform to share the gospel. So here's how we see that in verse 14. Jesus sends us as we are. It says, verse 14, the herdsmen fled and they told it to all their city and the country and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had a legion, he was just sitting there again, clothed in his right mind and everyone was afraid. They were in awe of what Jesus had done. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and all the pigs who went off the cliff into the water. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That's interesting. Why didn't they want Jesus to fix them? Maybe they didn't see their brokenness or their issues. Or Jesus has a way of disrupting where we find our worth and value. Like these men finding their worth and value in their jobs and their pig herding. So they said, Jesus, you're disrupting my life. Would you go somewhere else? And my friends, that's what Jesus does. He disrupts your life in order to give you real life. 
So my friends, if you're in a point where you feel like your plans have just exploded, what you wanted to have happen with your life has not worked out, just maybe Jesus disrupted something of your plans in order to give you something greater of his plans. And we see Jesus trying to interact and share with this community and they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Verse 18, so Jesus in his love and grace wanted to continue to share his good news with other places. And so what he does, he gets back into that boat. But the man who had been possessed with demons, out of everyone who else was there, he began to beg Jesus that he could go with Jesus. And my friends, that's what a life transformed by God looks like. You want to be with God. Guys, the goal of the gospel is not heaven. The goal of the gospel is God. You and I get God for all of eternity. Everything beautiful and precious and holy of his character, of who he is, is yours. The love that your heart craves for in relationships, it's found in him. The security we look for in money and possessions and a a, a PhD or a degree to make sure we can get a, a job of security one day, all of that's found in him. The goal of the gospel of having a relationship with God is him. It's not heaven. It's not how we can make your life better. It's him. He's the goal of the gospel. And this man gets it. He's like, I don't care where we go. I don't care what happens. I just want to be with you. Christian, if I can just speak to you for a moment, imagine if that was your life. If you're like this guy, you have this interaction with Jesus. He rescues you. He saves you. He removes your sin. He gives you a relationship with him. And you're like, I'll go wherever. I'll do whatever. Wherever you go, I just want to be with you. Guys, imagine Coa Brighton. If you call this place your home, imagine if that was your heart, that you just prayed all the time, God, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? Who would you have me spend time with? I'll go wherever you call me to go. If you call me to stay in Boston because it's so expensive, it's so hard, I'm away from my family, things are difficult here, I'm alone, I don't know anybody in the city, but what if God called you to stay here? Because this city is only 3% gospel believing. This city is one of the hardest cities to impact with the gospel. Out of all the other major cities in the U.S., this is one of the top third most expensive cities to live in. And if this has been your home for a while, you know how challenging it is to say hello and goodbye to people all the time. People may be here for a year or two years, but I watch people in this city struggle more than any other city I've lived in. I'm watching people try to climb the ladder. They're struggling with their degree program and they're in these places of brokenness and that's where the gospel moves the fastest and the furthest. So what if God is calling you to stay here? Would you be willing to stay? If God called you to go, would you be willing to go? If God called you to transition your job in order to make a better gospel impact, would you do it? Would you be like this man that has this deep moment with Jesus that changes him? He realizes what God has done for him. And he says, I want to go in the boat. I don't, God doesn't even know where the boat's going. He doesn't care where the boat's going. He wants to be with Jesus. My friends, are you and I like that? Are you so compelled with who he is? his majesty, his holiness, his sovereignty over your life, his goodness. Are you so compelled that you'll get in the boat and you'll go wherever? My friends, may we have that type of heart. So here's how the story concludes. It's odd because Jesus tells this guy, no. The guy wants to step into the boat and I'm wondering if the guy's like, Jesus, can I go with you? As he starts to get in the boat, Jesus permits him in verse 19. He does not permit him, excuse me. He says in verse 19, and Jesus did not permit him to go with him. But listen to what Jesus says to this man. 
Jesus says, would you now go home? Go home to your friends. And would you tell them how much the Lord has done for you? In that moment, Jesus is calling himself Lord. He's calling himself God. He's calling himself deity because indeed he is. He says, go to your friends, go home. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Mercy means withholding of something you deserve. And Jesus is talking about sin and God's punishment. God had mercy on this man, not to give him the punishment his sins deserve, but Jesus would eventually take the sin on himself and be punished on the cross for it. And Jesus is like, go tell everyone how much mercy God has had on you. And then look at verse 20. I love what happens here. It's the first time we see it in any of the gospels. The first person transformed. And then now they go and tell everybody. Look at verse 20. And he went away and he began to proclaim this man in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Do you know what that term Decapolis means? It means 10 cities in a region. This one man, this Gentile man who had heard the gospel transformed from Jesus turns into the first public witness to 10 local cities and neighborhoods about the gospel. This man was just demon possessed on one day. A few hours later, this man turns into the greatest missionary in the Gentile world. Within a few hours, this man's life is transformed. And he tells everyone, and he also goes to the hardest place, which was his home. He went to his home where his maybe mom or dad or grandparent or guardian abandoned him in the place of the tombs. And God is telling him to go to that place and extend the same mercy that God had extended to him to extend to your family. Give them the grace I gave you now. Give them the mercy I gave them. Share the good news of the gospel because apparently they need it too if they treated you that way. This man shares it in 10 cities and look what happened. Everyone marveled. My friends, that is the hope of Coa Brighton. Not that someone would marvel at my preaching or our worship or what we would do or how we set up a space or a movie night or whatever we do, that they would be marveled at the gospel how God meets you where you are, transforms you, and then sends you to share with everyone who he is and what he's done. Cole Brighton, where you sit right now is the very center of our neighborhood. In where you sit right now, all around us, there's four square miles that make up Brighton. There are now over 55,000 people right around where you are. They can travel from downtown now right in front of this building to go to Boston College. They can travel right from Boston College and go downtown. There are people living right outside our front doors here that do not know Jesus. And we don't just have one person that has been transformed by the gospel. There are many of you. Many of you watching online, many of you that are on vacation that'll watch later on this week. Some of you that are new to our church that you know the gospel still. Guys, how can we be like this man? How can we share it with our friends and neighbors? This entire city, 55,000 people in Brighton. You and I have got to be captivated with what God has done to you and for you. My friends, if you realize that you were in a place of the dead, if you were dead in your sins and trespasses, you were separated from God because of sin, if you realize the depth of that, 
You realize how holy God is and how distant we are from him and that God would not say, climb the moral ladder and get to me, but he would say, I would climb down to you and I would live and die and rise for you. If you grasp the depths of that, how he sovereignly controls things in your life for your good, if you drink in the depths of that, you'll want every single one of your friends, roommates, coworkers, boss, everyone to know that message. And that's what happened to this man. And my friends, I want us to deeply understand that that's why the gospel changes everything. This church is not my church. This church is your church. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. As a pastor, Ephesians 4.12 tells me that's my job is to equip you, Christians, for the work of ministry, to go and take this good news and bring it to our neighbors. So Cole Brighton, as we start working through this series on values, let's really think about who's one person one person that God has put in your way in your life to make Christ known to. Not that our goal is to preach at them or, you know, throw a Bible at them or, you know, jam it down the throat. That's not the goal of it. But who is one person that you think that God has put in your path to share this message with? And it's God's hand that brought that person in your life. So is that a neighbor? Is that a friend? Is that a coworker? Is it someone who lives right there in your apartment complex? Is someone you met at a park? Someone your kids go to school with, their family? Someone in your school program? Who is it? Someone that lives in your home? And my friends, we've got to make this message known because there are many more people living in the tombs of life, looking alive on the outside, but internally struggling and hurting. And it's in that place through your words that Jesus wants to meet them, transform them, and then send them to others so that everyone could know how the good news changes everything. Let's pray together. 